The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. I just first want to say thank you to the worship team for leading us um, in those amazing songs. Um, we're really uh, saying what I'm preaching. So if you uh, could sing it from your heart, um, I hope that this uh, message from Jeremiah speaks to you um, and we can apply uh, aspects of what we sang and what we hear from the Word of God into our lives um, as we, uh, we trust God. Uh, first off, I would like uh, to pray um, and uh, ask you guys to pray for me as well. Um, Father, here we are, sitting at your table with your word as the main course. I pray that you will help us to feast, to enjoy, to be impacted by the words that you speak, that your spirit will set them deep into our lives, into our hearts that they will make a lasting changes in how we live and how we honor and worship you. Will you guys pray for me that um, God will speak, that these words will be clear to you, that God will be made much of, And that this message will apply to all of our lives. We ask this for your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to back up a little bit. See if that helps soon. Um, all right. So we have uh, notes, if you didn't get any, uh, that you can fill in the blanks to help keep track with the sermon. And we have Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one of those and you want one, just raise your hand. And Will's going to come bring it to you. title of uh, our, my sermon is, Where is Your tr Trust Rooted? And uh, as Blair said, we're going to be in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Where is your trust rooted? Trust is a constant aspect of life. In order to participate reasonably in life, we have to have some level of trust. We trust other people to follow the rules of the road when you drive, right? Say on your right, on the right side of the road. Don't forget that we're in America, not in Europe, right? The right side, left side. That would be a two out of ten, right? <laughs> um, but most of the time, we just without even thinking about it. When you work, you trust that you're going to get paid. When you order food, you trust that you're going to get what you ordered, and it's going to be prepared properly and healthy for you, or safe at least. We also trust that things are going to operate the way they were designed. You're sitting on chairs right now or benches that you trust are going to hold you up. We trust that this building is not going to fall on us. Right? We trust that when you turn your car on, it's not going to explode. Right? Trust is something we have just in our daily operation, and it's a basic level of trust. But there are times that trust is a little bit more difficult. Um, do we trust what the doctor's going to do when we're, you know, knocked out and he's cutting us open? Do we trust with the government, the decisions that they're making and how they're going to carry out what we feel is right? Maybe you struggle with trusting your spouse um, or your boss or your parents, that, whether they're going to make the best decisions regarding you. Sometimes trust can be difficult and we need wisdom and discernment. 
but there should always be this basic level of trust. And so I think we understand what that means. But even deeper than this functional trust, we have a foundational trust that impacts how we think, what we say, what we do, what we pursue, what desires we have, what makes us happy, what makes us sad, what makes us angry. This foundational trust um, impacts every aspect of our life. And it happens in maybe ways, again, that we don't really realize it. When you set your trust in key elements, I'm sorry, when you set your trust, uh, where you set your trust is such a key element to how you live because it establishes your mindset and the heart position for the stage of life. Where you place your trust matters because it reveals who you worship and live for. It is what we depend on to stabilize our attitudes, our emotions, and our reactions. It determines our goals, desires, and pursuits. What we trust directs what we find comfort in, peace, and hope. It guides how we spend our words, our money, and our time. The quality and worth of our lives depend on the source that we are trusting. It's like the root of a tree. If you want a strong tree, you must have a good root system in good soil. The good soil feeds the tree to make it a healthy and productive tree. But bad soil produces a bad tree with no fruit at all and leaves the tree weak. So if you're in Jeremiah 17, I want you to, the big picture I want you to see in this passage is that only trust rooted in the Lord produces a fruitful life. Some background behind Jeremiah first. Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah during the time of 626 B.C. to 586 B.C. So it was kind of the later, later years of, of Israel and before Jesus uh, came in his first time. Prior to this time in biblical history, the original 12 nations of Israel had been split up into two nations. See, the, northern the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. And they had quite a history. If you've read through the Old Testament, it's pretty frustrating sometimes to see them turn from God. They turn back to God. They turn from God. They turn back to God. And every time God is uh, judging and disciplining them with another nation, but every time they turn back to him, he takes them back. He's always faithful to the covenant that he made with them that he would be their God and they would be their pe his people. 150 years before Jeremiah, God had taken Israel to their limit, uh, the northern tribe of Israel. They had uh, chosen God, uh, they had chosen pagan nations, they had turned away from God, and he judged them uh, by uh, Assyria coming and attacking them and exiling them. Um, took them out of their nation, out of their land. However, uh, the tribe of Judah, or the nation of Judah, had remained faithful to God. King Hezekiah and Isaiah were the, 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 was the prophet at that time, and they were able to get them back together and let's stay focused on God. Let's, let's keep trusting in God. And so at that time, God preserved them. 150 years later, Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet um, because his prophecies were so painful for him because the people had churned and continually refused to return to God. So he was a weeping prophet, and they hated him for it. Um, but at this time, uh, Judah was so engaged in 
pagan worship and rejecting God that God stirred up the Babylonians to attack. So they're standing at their front door, ready to attack in judgment. And Jeremiah knows this. He says, these Babylonians over here are attacking because you are, have turned from God. But comes his prophecy. He comes with a warning. And this warning, in this warning, we see two conditions of the heart. We see two sections, the first section and the second section. And they both show us a condition of the heart and a position of the soul. Start with verses five through six. Cursed, I'm sorry, thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. As God's prophet, Jeremiah begins his warning with a clear claim that the words he is speaking come directly from God. This is God's warning, God's judgment to you, Judah. He was going to bring judgment and misery on them if they would not turn back to God. Because rooting your trust in man results in striving. When we root our trust, bury our trust in man, it results in a life of striving. We see that uh, Jeremiah starts out with a curse for those who root their trust in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. This isn't the kind of curse you hear about in movies or books. Um, this is God pronouncing judgment on Judah, prophesying of their misery that they're going to exist and if they continue in this way of not trusting God. He was giving them one last warning that to continue trusting in man, not God, would lead to a cursed or miserable existence. This condemnation was so harsh because Judah turned their heart away from the Lord. As we see there, to trust in flesh is to turn your heart from God. They were rebelling against him. Jeremiah highlights the foolishness of turning to Egypt as flesh because flesh is weak and frail. How many of you have gotten splinters before? Hate them, right? Blisters, right? You get a cough, you get a cold, you stub your toe, you cry, right? We have to sleep to exist, right? The next day, I mean, how many of us are like, would walk off a bridge if we didn't sleep the night before? It's, we, we are weak and dependent people. And here we see Judah saying, God, Egypt, God, grass, <laughs> right? Because what does the Bible tell us about flesh? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. It was absolute foolishness to turn away from the mighty arms of God who had created them to seek help from the dried up arms of grassy men. But this was the position of Judah's heart turned away from God. It's like a drowning person who needs to be and on one side, there's somebody that's going to throw them a lifesaver. On the other side, somebody's going to throw them a rock. And they say, lifesaver? Rock. <laughs> I want the rock. 
So they throw them the rock, they grab a hold of that rock, and that rock is pulling them down. It's not a lifesaver at all. This is the foolishness of turning to man instead of turning to God for rescue. Judah grabbed a hold of the sinking stone of Egypt, and they are cursed for it. Verse 5 shows us the position of the heart of Judah and the one who turns away from the Lord. Verse 6 shows us the condition of the soul in life as a result of turning to man. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. We see a shriveled up, solitary, barren bush striving to exist in the waterless desert. It has no green leaves or juicy fruit. It's probably a lot like a tumbleweed. This small, worthless bush strives to survive in one of the harshest environments on earth. It sends its roots into the packed, dusty earth, seeking for something to sustain its life, but it only finds salty grains of sand. You can relate to this lack of water, I'm sure. My kids call it starving thirsty. It's this overwhelming longing to gulp water after you've been running in the sun or working in the yard. There's been days I've just, not only in my mouth, but just all over your head, right? You're hot, you're sweaty, you're thirsty. This is the parched um, condition that this bush is surviving in because it's chosen man instead of God. To... Jeremiah's description gives us a vivid understanding of the condition of those whose, true, whose trust is rooted in man. It is a life of striving. To strive means to make strenuous effort toward a goal or work extremely hard, often to the point of exhaustion. And the picture I get, BCCR is coming, so that's where this comes from, right? Is riding a bike up a very steep hill. You push and you push, and you think you got it, right? You're pushing pretty hard, and all of a sudden you get about halfway there, and your legs start burning a little bit, right? And then you start pushing a little harder, and they start hurting. So you get up off your saddle. You start using your body weight to push that down. I'm sure you've seen this on, like, Tour de France and things like that. They're getting up there, and they're just they're determined. They see the top up there. They keep pushing. They keep pushing, and adrenaline kick, kicks in, and they finally make it to the top, and what I do is I fall over in exhaustion because I am just beat, right? Um, that's striving. That's straining for a goal. If your, trust, if your trust is not rooted in God, you're striving after empty treasure in the world. It's like striving up an eternal mountain with no top in sight. You work so hard, but for nothing... This is the kind of empty striving those who choose man are cursed to live with. And this is why Jeremiah is warning Judah to turn back to God or they will become a dried up bush striving to exist in the desert. Just as this prophecy warns, we, when we root our trust in our soul will be cursed to exist like the desert bush, striving without help. The bush is striving without help. The passage says the bush will not see any good. Even if prosperity was to come, it would not see it. That means that even if there was a good rain, it wouldn't help. 
The bush is dry on the inside. It's really dead. It has no ability to soak up the water to produce life within it. Last year, I had to move a bush in our backyard, and so I pulled it up, and I put it in another hole, packed the dirt in around it, and put a bunch of water on it. I watered it daily, uh, try to make this thing grow. It was one of those little big rose bushes. I can't remember a lady something rose bushes. Um, despite all the water I gave it, day after day, it got drier and drier. And eventually, it just looked like a stick, and our dog thought it was a toy and tore it apart. <laughs> Problem is, it was already dead. It couldn't receive the water that I was giving it. How about you? Have you been trying to drink from the desert? What are you trusting in to provide protection, purpose, meaning, direction, and joy in your life? Do you seek after something here and now? If you have your back turned to God, you are left to yourself to motivate and empower your life with purpose. The problem is flesh can't empower flesh. Flesh is like grass, right? It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. There's no life in a dried up blade of grass. There must be a greater power and purpose than yourself. So many people turn to community or ideology or education to get the help they need. Maybe they turn to a false religion or maybe they turn to church, thinking that that's just the community that they need. But these things have no power in themselves to help. They have no foundation to trust in. They have no life to offer to those who seek it. Without God, people are striving without help. We hear people talk about hope and trust, kind of like hope and hope and trust and trust. But what is that anchored to? Are you hoping in a feeling or a positive thought? Are you trusting in an idea or that you're going to do better next time? But this kind of hope and trust still is empty. If your trust isn't in the rock of ages, God of the Bible, then it's in mist. It's in the cloud. There's nothing there upon which to place your weight. If you seek after things that are created or organized by man, you have no soil to help keep you anchored during the storms and sunshine that come with life, and you will continue to strive without help. If you continue to trust in man, you will also strive without hope. Like this, <laughs> like this bush dwelling in the parched places of the wilderness. It's a hopeless existence. We see this plant trying to survive on this jagged, rock-hard ground that offers little stability or soil to dig its roots into. There's no water in this stony, wild landscape. Its very existence seems to be on the verge of extinction. For the person whose trust is rooted in man, this unstable foundation brings uncertainty, fear, anxiety. It's like trying to float down the river on a log. It's spinning as we make turns and, and, and corners and go down rapids. You can't stay on it. You can't stand on this log because it keeps spinning. So as a result, we try to create a sense of control around us. We use schedules and rules and success and power to try to stabilize the log. Let's tie a rudder on back here and put an outrigger over there and maybe I'll whittle handle right here and now we're going to hit these these rapids here but it's a log it's going to spin on you you're going to fall right there's no stability there 
We try and gain control of the spinning log by placing trust in what we can do or others can do for us. We look at retirement, insurance, wealth, influence. Maybe we, we look to self-praise, relational capital, manipulation, or masquerading friendliness. These may be ways you seek to increase your sense of stability, but they are not the foundational security you can build your hope upon. There is no guarantee that this man-made floating rig will not fall apart as it rolls through the chutes and rapids we face in life. It is hopeless to base your foundational trust in yourself or in other things or people. Are you seeking comfort and security in this world to boost your hope of a good life? Are you striving without hope? We do see people that seem to live well in life. They seem to be happy and, and have all the family that they want and all the things that they can enjoy. We hear story after story, however, of how wealth and fame doesn't satisfy. It's sad to see celebrities and musicians dying from drug overdoses or seeking peace and sobriety in recovery programs and work, only to see it slip through their hands. Some of the most affluent communities also have the most pervasive drug use. Those who seem to have life together really are striving without hope. Like this bush in the stony wilderness. One wrong step on a loose rock and you come tumbling down the cliff. We see in our own lives that when we look to our family and friends or achievements and comforts or even church as our primary means of satisfaction and purpose, we will always want more always running after and reaching for something better. There are many wonderful things that we should take part in, but by themselves, they can't bring hope because they are external. There must be something more foundational to place your trust in than loving and good deeds. When would they be enough? How long must you strive until you are fulfilled or until your God is satisfied? And what if you do that all your life? Who is the judge and rewarder of your deeds in the end? If you are trusting in yourself or some unknown greater power, it is empty because placing your trust in man leads to striving without hope. If we continue to trust in man rather than God, this also leads to striving without fruit in an uninhabitable salt land. Have you ever seen the salt flats of Utah? Anybody been there? Yeah? I've just seen pictures. Like, when I read this passage, that's what I thought of, and I've never seen it, so I just Googled it, and I saw pictures <laughs> of the salt flats in Utah. One thing that stands out is there's nothing there. It's just flat without any vegetation. Um, as far as you can see, there's nothing at least in the pictures I saw. There's no evidence that this isolated barren bush has ever produced fruit or seed to propagate itself. Without genuine fruit, there is no lasting value in this bush trying to survive on this salt plains. And it's the same with those who place trust in man rather than God. All efforts to produce flesh or to produce fruit is striving without it. 
Ecclesiastes reveals what the wisest man discovered in his life. Solomon sought after anything the world could offer to produce something good. But he said, all the effort we put into works, wisdom, labor, wealth, increasing skill and knowledge, pleasure and pleasing people is all futility, vanity, striving after the wind. Have you ever tried to capture the wind? It's right there, right? You can feel it. It's pushing against you. It's blowing your hair. You can walk into it. You can feel it on your hand, on your face, but you can't grab it. You can't catch it. You can't bottle up wind. Chasing after the wind is a fruitless activity, just like trusting in man leads to striving without fruit. Even the good things that we do produce still have sinful motives. Many people try to mimic good fruit through special acts of kindness. In fact, we often see unbelievers seem to care more about these things than believers. This shouldn't be so, but it is understandable. The person who has no help or hope strives to produce fruit that they can be proud of and secure in because they have no foundation to trust in otherwise. However, even as this may bear a resemblance to good fruit, without God it has no lasting value. We have a few citrus trees in our backyard. One of them is a really big orange tree. And when we moved into the house, we saw it back there and we thought, oh yeah, we're gonna get some good oranges from here. It looked promising and we had big hopes of tasting these delicious, juicy oranges. Sweet, we expected them to be sweet, right? Like we do for oranges are sweet. We were all surprised when we took our first bite of the most sour and bitter oranges we've ever had. Even my own kids' faces were puckered up in these sour faces like, whoa! That was the funnest part of the whole thing. The problem was the tree was rooted in bad soil. It didn't offer the nutrients the tree needed to grow the sweet, juicy oranges we were expecting. The tree fooled us and produced useless fruit. When your trust is rooted in the wrong source, the fruit of your life will be fake and empty, even if it looks good on the outside. In the end, false fruit is sour and bitter because it fools you into thinking your life is okay but it disappears into fruitless, eternal death. This is the condemnation of hardworking people who trust in man, but strive without fruit. All actions and thoughts with your back turned against God are acts of independence, self-righteousness, or self-pleasure, because they come from a heart trusting in self rather than God. God views your good deeds as dirty rags, even if other humans view them as peaches and plums, because trusting in man leads to striving without genuine fruit. This is what Jeremiah's warning reveals will happen to Judah if they continue to walk away from God by trusting in man. They will be like a dried up bush in the desert, striving to exist without help, hope, or fruit. Sadly, this is what happened. They trusted in Egypt, Egypt failed them. Babylon 
uh, defeated them and exiled them, pulled them out of their country, away from their place of worship where they met with God, and they were sentenced to strive in the desert, away from the blessing and presence of God. We could look at Judah and think, you guys are idiots. Like, seriously, didn't you look at your history and see that if you would have turned to God, that he would have saved you and rescued you and you would have stayed in your home and you would have worshiped God and been blessed and had everything you want? What are you guys thinking? But maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge them. The truth is, just like Judah, we have a massive enemy who wants to destroy us. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. His name is Satan. And he has convinced us to turn our backs on God, trusting in ourselves as we sinfully pursue independence and self-righteousness. We willfully follow in the pattern that Adam and Eve set before us as we desire for sin and we distrust in our holy God. We follow after every other human who also steps in those same, that same path seeking joy and meaning in created things rather than in worshiping the creator. This makes us enemies of God, which is exactly where Adam and Eve ended up. Think about it. They were living in a lush green garden. They could pick whatever fruit they wanted, except for one, but whatever fruit otherwise that they wanted. Without effort, this, these trees were just growing fruit. And they were hungry, I'm going to pick a fruit, and it's going to be delicious, right? And yet, they chose to believe the lie that it wasn't good enough, that God wasn't enough for them, that they could do better than what God could do. And so they turned away, and they ate the one that God said not to eat, right? As a result, they showed their heart turning from God and trusting in man. And they were kicked out of that garden, just like we see with Judah, right? They were kicked out of that lush garden to strive in the existence of pain and toil. They had to plant rows and rows of seed and hope that enough rain came down to water it so that they, they could eat. Their life was one of toil and strain as a result of turning their back on God and trusting in themselves. Adam and Eve were cursed, were cursed to live out this miserable existence of the barren bush in the desert, just as Judah was cursed. It really is the same sin, the same turning from God, and it's the same thing we do when we seek after the world rather than God. As long as we persist in these self-driven, self-seeking, self-dependent pursuits, we will always be guilty of the same crime as Judah. And we will be sentenced with the same punishment to strive in this life without God's help, hope, or fruit. And ultimately, we will end up eternally separated from any love or blessing from God. The truth is, just like Judah, we have a foundational trust issue. The Bible says none of us turn to God. Nobody seeks after him. We have all foolishly exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, image of, in the form of corruptible man. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That is at the core of unbelief and sin. 
Whether it be Judah turning from God or you trusting in this world, ultimately we turn from God because we don't trust him to be who he says he is. We don't trust him to do what he says he'll do. We don't fear him as almighty creator God who will one day judge those who reject him and bless those who turn to him. We look for meaning in education, profession, or hobbies. We seek after pleasure in vacations, food and drink and entertainment. Maybe you're looking at, uh, looking with a blind hope to a better future. These things are stones that you hold on to as you sink deeper and deeper under the drowning weight of self-reliance sin. It drags you further and further away from the only true salvation from God. God is sending us a message through Jeremiah and through Jesus. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Whatever you are seeking at the cost of your soul, it's not worth it. It won't fulfill or sustain you. Trusting in man will only leave will only leave you in the condition of a helpless, hopeless, and fruitless eternity. This is the position of the heart of the man who, tru who trusts in man and the condition of the soul who refuses to trust in the Lord. Will you continue grasping for stones or will you reach for the rescuing hand of Jesus? Nobody can defeat this enemy alone. You can't find a bigger, stronger, smarter person to set you free. You can't do enough right things to overcome your sin. You can't be kinder, give more, save more, do more, or be more resolved because placing your trust in the world only leads to helpless, hopeless, fruitless striving. Today, heed the call of repentance that we hear from Jeremiah. We must recognize that if our hearts are turned from God, we are tempting to be our own masters, control our own destinies, and pursue our own pleasures. You must come to realize that in your unbelief, you have chosen to place your trust in yourself and created things rather than the creator himself. As a result, you deserve to be cursed, to live eternally in a barren desert apart from the blessing of God. Your hope for future life and goodness is as empty as a leafless bush striving to exist in the deadly de desert. Turn from striving after the world for gratification. Cease from striving to achieve your own goodness and reward. <laughs> There's only one whose striving in life was good enough to produce the righteousness for all who would believe in him. There's only one who's striving on the cross brings forgiveness to those who will trust in him. There's only one who's striving in the grave brings hope for eternal blessing and everlasting life. There's only one who will return one day for those of us who quit striving on our own and turn and trust in the Lord. And his name is Jesus. Only faith in Jesus alone will release us from the curse of our unbelief. Only fully trusting in Jesus Christ will bring the help, hope, and fruit of God in eternal life. 
So if you're striving without help, trust the kindness of God. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. Trust in the kindness of God. If you realize you are striving without hope, trust in the work of Jesus. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're striving without hope, trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And if you're striving without fruit, trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the grace, according to the hope of eternal life. Trust in God, God's kindness, trust in the work of Jesus, and trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When your root is anchored in Jesus, you have help. You have hope and you have fruit in God. Because, as we see in the second half, rooting your trust in God results in thriving. Rooting your trust in God results in thriving because the blessing for trusting in God is life-giving. Verse 7 and 8 read, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the promise to the man and woman and nation that turns back to God. We are reminded of, um, sorry, when I think of trust, I think of the trust fall. Y'all done that before? You climb up on a little platform and then you got your buddies back behind you and you're like, yeah. <laughs> Corey's like, never. <laughs> and you just fall back and you're trusting your friends to catch you, right? That's, that, that, that reminds me of uh, trust and, and faith in Christ for salvation. You say, you know what, God, I, I can't do this. I can't save myself. I recognize my sin, that I'm unworthy to stand before you. Um, I recognize that Jesus paid everything for me and that he earned the righteousness that I need. Therefore, I trust in him completely and he, we fall back and we fall into the arms of Christ for salvation. But I think sometimes we can end there. It gets kind of gummy and cloudy after that as, as we walk through life. And we say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus for that. But when we're walking in this life, maybe we kind of pull back a little bit and we say, I know you can handle that, but I think I'm going to try to handle this part right here. This is my part. That's your part, right? But what this says here is, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. 
What that means there is whose confidence is the Lord. And then it tells us that he is a, like a tree planted by water. That reminds us of uh, Psalms 1. Where it says, uh, um, I've got it in here. Let me get to it because I'm blanking. I told somebody this was going to happen. Let me, uh, let me go back to uh, that foundational trust in Christ. This confidence in the Lord, this confidence that is the Lord, is more than just a mental agreement to facts or a trust in that future existence. When you have a foundational confidence in God, you are certain. You can't be shaken. You have no fear or anxiety. It's a convinced, immovable, dependent, dependent trust in God that says, I know God can and will follow through with his promises. If God promises he will rescue us, I know he will. Even if he whittles Gideon's army down to a mere 10,000 fighters in the face of 120,000 swordsmen. If God promises to bless all nations through me, I know he will, even though Abraham and Sarah were childless at 100 years old. Even if God promises to always be with me, I know he will, even while Stephen is being pummeled to death by stones. This is making God your trust, your confidence. This is, li this is trusting in the absolute this is an absolute trust in the character of God and his promises that will not be shaken. Trusting in God begins with knowing his character. Do you trust who he says he is? Does what he say, say impact how you act in life and how you react and, and respond to things in life? Is his character woven into your mind and your heart so that when questionable things happen, you're secure. When you get frustrated because you're not getting what you want, you're okay with it. And I'm talking to myself on that one. Do I trust that who God is is enough for me? Do I trust that what God says he will do, he will do? If he says he's enough, do I trust that? Or am I searching for other things? Are you searching after other things? That's really what it boils down to. Do you trust who God is and what he says he'll do? Do you know who God is and what he says he'll do? When we know God's character, we can trust his promises in a way that actually impacts our life, our emotions, our thoughts. When we have this kind of deeply rooted trust in the Lord, we will thrive with God's help. Just as a tree planted by the water sends out its roots by the stream. Notice that the tree is not just sitting there. It's sending its roots toward what? The water, the stream. It's actively pursuing the water. Just like the tree, we must actively pursue the face of God. 
So in order to do that, we have to trust in his ways. Trust in God's ways in order to thrive with God's help. And really his primary ways for us to know him and be able to trust in him is spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. We can't know if God's character is going to apply in this situation unless we know God's character. And God has revealed that to us through his word. We have to trust in his ways of showing himself to us. And if we trust in his ways, then we're going to do it. We're not going to set the word to the side because we're too busy doing these other things. Or I got to take care of these problems over here. So, so I'll, I'll check in with the word later. Um, I'll check in with you in prayer later, God. I got all this stuff I got to take care of, right? Y'all see what we're doing here? It's like Judah is saying, you know what, God, I'm going to go with Egypt over here because I can see them and uh, touch them, and they have really big horses. And I don't see you. You're over there, so I'm going to go over here. We're doing the same thing. When we see the word and we see prayer over here, we say, I could access God and I could learn about God and see how God impacts my situation right now. But you know what? I'm going to go over to my friend over here and kind of get some advice. Um, I'm going to uh, look up this uh, website and, and see what it tells me I should do. Um, or I'm just going to pout and be upset about not getting what I want. Um, that time could be spent with God, who knows all, who's created all, who's promised everything that we could ever want, and yet we turn from it. So we see that uh, if we want to thrive with God's help, we need to go to God's resources to help us with that, trusting in his ways. And that's where uh, Psalms 1 comes in, and it was in here. He who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his word will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It will be green and fruitful, just like the tree that we learn about in Jeremiah will be green and fruitful as it sends its roots to the water. Send your roots into the word and into prayer to know God. If you trust in the Lord, you're you will thrive by trusting um, I'm sorry. When you trust in the Lord, you can also thrive with confident hope. Without the Lord, you strive without hope. But with the Lord, you have confident hope. Just like the tree does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. The green leaves are the evidence of health and strength and vitality because it's being supported and fed by an unseen system of watered roots. We can know that trees planted by rivers remain healthy, right? We float down the Guadalupe or the Comal. I got some help on that one. We can be sweating like crazy and we can see grass off in the distance that's, that's yellow and dying, but, but those trees right along the river, what color are they? Yeah, they're green. They're healthy and strong because they have the direct connection to soil that is being watered by the stream, by the river. And so when the heat comes, it's not afraid because it's, it's nourished. If we fully trust in God, we don't have to fear when the heat gets turned up because we're soaking in the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. To thrive with confident hope, we must trust in Jesus' promises. 
And we can trust in the character and promises of God because Jesus tells us that we are his child. We are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus tells us that we are always in his hands, that he intercedes for us and one day will return for us. Jesus' promises are the foundation that makes us steadfast when when we face trials in life. When you find out that something in your body is not working right, stay rooted in God's sovereign goodness through Jesus. When your job and finances become uncertain, stay rooted in God's promise to provide and protect through Jesus. When you are tempted to act selfishly or get angry, stay rooted in the loving and God's loving kindness for you through Jesus. When you are discontent or depressed, stay rooted in the hope of your Savior's promised return. When we will see Jesus clearly and worship him in joyous perfection. It's because of Jesus' promises that we don't have to fear when the heat comes. The person who trusts in the Lord will also thrive with abundant fruit. Thrive with abundant fruit, just like the tree that is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A year of drought, and this tree continues to bear fruit. It's not saving some, some water up for when it gets really bad. It is really bad, right? Its surroundings, its climate, its condition is bad. And yet it continues to produce fruit because it is anchored in trust to the Lord. Struggles in life often seem to carry on forever, don't they? In fact, life as a follower of Christ is a struggle. We are constantly battling temptation and fleshly desires. We are repeatedly having to repent for things said, actions done, and thoughts we've had. It can be so frustrating. We live in a place that is not our home, but we're actually strangers here. Jesus tells us that if the world hated him, it's going to hate us. We may constantly get frustrated as we see that our spiritual growth is slower than we feel it should be. There is a suffering in this world, injustice, and crime that breaks our hearts. Maybe we have family and friends that reject Jesus and may reject us. Sometimes authentic community can be difficult to develop. Churches are never perfect and close friends move away. We may even suffer persecution. (coughs) Life on earth as a Christian can be hard, but we can still thrive with abundant fruit by trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who trust in God are not promised an easy or successful life. There will certainly be times where our trust is tested, our faith is pushed, and our hope is squeezed. When that happens, we must keep our face toward God, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to do His work of sanctification and change in our lives. The more we allow the Spirit to change us, the more abundant fruit is produced in ministry, in character, in obedience. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that God is with us and making us more like Christ. Ultimately, the fruit of lifelong faith is the Spirit's evidence 
that gives us hope to keep trusting in the Lord, even when it's hard. Only those who completely root their trust in the Lord will thrive with abundant fruit because genuine fruit can only be produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual fruit is the visible evidence of a believer's invisible root that is anchored to the saving and sanctifying power of God. Do you see consistent fruit in your life? Do you see steady confidence through trials? Are you regularly seeking after the Lord? These are the evidences of a thriving life based in trusting God. If you don't see these regularly growing in your life, you may be striving to exist without the help and hope of God in a fruitless existence. Or maybe you're trusting, or maybe you trust God with your eternity, but are withholding trust for your own life right now. Did you got it? As we close, I want you to remember that God followed through with his threat. And Judah ended up striving as exiles in a foreign land. This warning to turn to the Lord or perish still applies to you and me today. Place your life fully in the hands of God and keep seeking him in all things and you will see the blessings of confident hope and consistent fruitfulness for the glory of God because trusting in the Lord is the root of a fruitful life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, your word that warns us and rewards us. That you tell us the truth of the condition of our heart as we turn away from you, that you are compassionate to reveal our sin and the condition that we would live in if we remain in that but that you in your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness promise to us that if we turn to you, you will regenerate us, you will bring life into us, and you will set us beside you. That if we seek after you, we will find you. You give us promises that we can grab a hold to and hold on when the winds of of pain and uncertainty are, are ripping about. That we can grab a hold of Jesus and trust in him to be the one that will carry us through. God, we know that you carry us and we want to depend on you for our faith, but God, we want to depend on you for our life as well. See that it's not just a future security that we're trusting in, but that we're trusting in your goodness, your sovereignty, your power, your love for us for now. And that your spirit wants to work fruit of righteousness in our lives as we live now. 
So I, I ask that we, that you help us to realize the importance of the ways that you've set out before us, that we can know you more deeply and apply your truths more intimately into our lives as we pursue you through the word and through prayer. God, just make that such a, a desire in our lives, a foundation that we can stand on, that we will not continue to set it aside, but that in pursuing you through the means you've given us, that we will show our trust and that we will uh, have stable emotions and attitudes and hearts and reactions because our faith is in you, our trust is in you, our hope is in you, and our help comes from you. We thank you, God, for your presence, that you don't let us go through life striving if we've placed our trust in you.